Welcome to another edition of the Music City Drive-In, brought to you by Geek Vibe Nation. I am your host, Ricky Valera. On today's episode, i got a special one for you. I have from Awards Ace, I've got Eric Weber on the show with me today. We talk season three of Ozark. We talk about films that came out this year. We talk about the quarantine, what we're doing through the quarantine to occupy our time, and so much more. So let's go ahead and talk to Eric himself. All right, Eric, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm excited to have you back on. We kind of connected over Ozark. Ozarks, no S there, um, but um, <laughs> I remember I tweeted that out. You gave me such a hard time. I was like, "Damn it!" <laughs> but um, how are you today, man? I'm good. I'm uh, I'm surviving. I guess like the rest of us. I mean, the world obviously is a whole different place, and uh, we're trying to find our, our our place in that world. But um, you know, for for folks like us that love film, it's 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 tough. I mean, obviously, we're, we're not talking about the the health aspects and people are dying and the obviously that's a horrible you know it, it, almost impossible to imagine scenario that we're in right now but i mean for us to have the things that we love also taken away it's like it's a tough time for everybody it really is like I, I i really miss going to the movie theaters you know what i mean like i would do just about like i would just want somebody to open it i'll be the only one that goes in i don't care like i would pay a substantial decent amount of money for that to happen right now man so so how I mean, we because we spend so much time there. I mean, it, during a during a week out here in LA, I'll go at least on average two. Um, you know, award season it's more like four or five. Exactly. Uh, you know, screens a week. So when you remove that from your from your life, what you're used to doing and what you love to do and, and love to go see film and take it in in the theater and have that again just just taken out of your life, it's like man, uh, we're all kind of mourning. Um, you know, everyone everyone who loves going to the theater and that theatrical experience we're missing it it's not the same and like just thinking back and it's like for me um you know whenever but you know we talked about this and people mentioning it obviously not to mention any names but like when people keep on saying like wonder woman and all these films to be released to streaming i don't want to see wonder woman on my television you know what i mean like i don't want that's not a film for me actually there's not a whole lot of films to me that i just want to sit at my house and watch either you know if if i want to get a theatrical experience It'd be like, hey, Eric, hey, can we, uh, do you want to watch A Quiet Place 2 at your house? You know what I mean? Like, no, I don't. I want to experience that in the theaters. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and you don't worry, don't worry you're not going to. I mean, the, the, the studios are not going to release a Wonder Woman 84. They're not going to release A Quiet Place 2. I think the longer this goes, there's a chance, but I, I just don't see this extending past, let's just say June. Let's right. just take June as the exit. Um, fine. Then you push some things out. Sony pushed Morbius, and and what else did they push out of there? Ghostbusters. Uh, yeah, Ghostbusters, uh, and and something else. They moved all those to to next year. Right. Fine. But you know, we're still going to get those, and they're not time sensitive. You know, I used to work in the news business, and we used to have stories that were quote evergreen. Those are evergreen movies. They're always going to be. It's going to be the same experience watching Ghostbusters in early 2021 as it would have been in what June of this year. So. Um, and we're going to get all those films on, on the big screen. I think everyone who's at home clamoring for these films to be released on VOD, they don't understand that we're not at that point. You know, another if we go this, another six months of this, which is not going to happen, I, no. I, there's just no way the world will not shut down for six months. OK, right. but if it did, then we'd be talking about that. But for for people like Grace Randolph, who, you know, we, we both know on, on Twitter, she starts tweeting about they're going to release Mulan and they're talking about it. Well, of course, they're talking about it. That's one of the options. That doesn't mean it's gonna happen. Yeah. It's one of the, you know, the the least option on there. If they had to pick an option, that would be the last one they pick. So it's yes, it's in discussion, but it's not gonna happen. So you know, my biggest problem with this is, is the same people that can sit, sit, sit there and say, "Well, release it and put a price upon it." I would say one out of every ten person people that say that will stream it for free. They will not pay for it. You know what I mean? Like it's like release it to VOD, release it to VOD. The only reason you want it to release it to VOD is because somebody will watch it, somebody will rip it, and then you'll get to watch yep. it for free. It has nothing to do with you wanting to pay for it because, and, and everybody I was complaining about, about that. that. Yeah, yeah, you know, and everybody wants to pay that. Everybody complained about the twenty dollar price point. Well, the twenty dollar price point, like that wasn't bad, and you got it for forty eight hours. You could watch the film ten times in forty eight hours. Twenty dollars wasn't a bad price for them to come out with. It could have been higher, but. The people that are complaining, you're not going to pay for the movie anyway. You know what I mean? Like you're going to stream it for free just like, you know, you do any other time. You know what I mean? You would have paid to go see Wonder Woman. You would pay to go see Quiet Place, you know, stuff like that. But at the same time, a lot of those people complaining just want to watch it for free at their house. They're not going to be the ones that go out to theaters and see it anyway. 
And yeah, so so for them, they just want to see it now, right? We yeah. all want that's the thing also about our society. We want things now. We don't want to wait. We want to see Tenant tomorrow. We want to see Dune, which by the way, will be pushed back because there's no way a film like that that requires that many effects and that most much post work on it is gonna still come out this year, especially when they're not shooting right now. They're already on that deadline, right? Yep. So work but we want it now. We want to see it tomorrow. And and because we're now in this holding pattern, everyone's freaking out because the content will start to dry up. It's not being produced. You yep. know, all the shows that you love are on hiatus. Yep. All the films that we're shooting are on hiatus. Therefore, we are going to have this break where there's really nothing. So they're going to have to – there's stuff being built up, obviously, that was scheduled to be released during this time. But everything that was after that is now – has been delayed. And therefore, the actual – you know, the date that they were expected to be delivered is going to be delayed because you have to – they haven't been working on it. Exactly. And the other thing that I was thinking about was – so I know you. We had tweeted it out. So one of somebody had tweeted it out. I think it might have even been the uh, the box office guy. He had tweeted out about that Kevin Hart film, and I was like, mm-hmm. I guarantee they pushed that, understanding potentially to get some awards pushed because there's going to be, like you said, a lot of films that were supposed to come out in that September to December range that we're going to get that award push. They're not filming right now, so they're not going to be done. So films like this that are already done that have the bow written on them are going to be able to push themselves. This is going to be a weird Oscar season. You know what I mean? I I think we talked, I talked last night, I was talking to one of my buddies, um, Chris Gore, who runs Film Threat, and we go to all the award parties together. And and I told him what I think is going to happen this year for, um, for award season is that you're going to see studios that had something that was really good for this year. Um, you know, I've got like, like a Dune, um, you know, Tenant, I, I think will still come out this year, but let's say a, a film that they really thought was going to be the one for this year. What studios are going to do is they're going to take it out and they're going to save it for next award season because back to that evergreen thing, it's, it's the same film. It doesn't have to be released this year or next. It's the, the film's done. It's ready to go. And the reason you want to do that is because this is going to be a weird award season. You're going to have people that are coming out of this with however many, say, 100,000, 200,000 deaths. Um, that obviously changes the mood of the country. Yep. You're going to have everything pushed back. Uh, there's, it's going to be strange. And I think you don't want to be caught in the middle of that if you have some film that's really like this is you know a 10 out of 10. This is a quote-unquote masterpiece. I'm going to push this until we get into a more normal award season. I think you're going to see studios take some films out of contention that they had planned to put in contention for 2020, 2021 and push it to 2021, 2022. Yeah, I think this is one of the years that we're going to look, you know, back in 10 years. I've been writing these little articles, like looking back at the best pictures uh, of, you know, the last 20 years and stuff like that. I think this is going to be one of those years you're going to look back 10 years from now and be like, it'll be like a a, a steroided uh, baseball player. It'll have an asterisk next to it. You know what I mean? Like it'll be, Mm -hmm. uh, this film wasn't really the best picture, you know, from that year or was it, or would this have been, or would this have been, or would this have been, you know what I mean? It's going to be, I think really what we're going to look at is not just 2020, one technically 2021 Oscars, but the 2022 Oscars are going to be packed. You know what I mean? That is going to be, you know, because you have a lot of the films that were pushed from this year to next year. You know what I mean? A lot of those. And then on top of that, you already have the films that were going to be projected for next year because I don't think a lot of those films would be hindered as much, obviously, depending on how far along we go. But it's going to be an interesting couple months. It's going to be interesting Oscar season. I would say that you probably need to catch up on as much, you know, 11 o'clock sleeps you can right now, brother, so that, you know, you can prepare your your mind and body mentally for, you know, November, December, and January. Yeah. And that's, it's, we're living in a different world and we don't know what it's going to be like when we come out. Right. That's the other thing is we don't know how quickly people are going to get back into theaters. We we discussed a little bit when we were off before we started recording that for me personally, um, I understand everyone's fear. Um, I I don't live my life in uh, in a way of fear. I don't I don't run from things. I I understand there are risks and and I will go ahead and do, you know, what I guess I'll just live my life. I'm not going to I'm not going to sit back and go, "Oh my gosh, what if?" right? If I live my life as what if all the time, I would never accomplish anything. I would sit in my apartment all day. So I think, what if I get in my car and I, you know, go on the freeway and there's a good chance I get in a wreck? Well, then you don't leave. I'm not saying they're the same thing. I'm saying the risk aspect of there are risks in life. You have to take them. I would go back to a theater. If they gave the all clear and said, hey, listen, we need all of you to go back into the society, 
take take the necessary precautions, put a mask on, whatever you know you think you need to do. I would go see a th- I'd go see a movie next week if they gave the all clear order and said get out. But a lot of people won't. And that's the that's what we have to determine, you know, what's the effect of that going forward. Yeah, exactly. And that affects the box. And that's another thing that nobody understands. That affects the box office numbers as well. You know what I mean? That's going to affect a box office for a film that would have been coming out in a July or, a, you know, like a tenant that's supposed to come out in July. You know, that type of film, you know, is going to be a one that a lot of people are going to want to see. But you have probably uh, even if you have a quarter to 50 percent of the audience, I was excited to see it, but are very tempted to watching the news and very scared to go back out in public right after the pandemic dies down per se, then mm-hmm. the box office returns are not going to be as high. And that's the type of film they need those. They need that half a million dollars or half a billion dollars. They need that $700 million because that budget is what, you know, 150, $200 million, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's a, mm-hmm. another factor in of pushing these films off. If you have a billion dollar film, you're not just going to release it to VOD because you know, one in 10 are going to, you know, stream it for free. You know, that's that you're losing $700 million. And in an economy the way it is right now, these businesses are going to need that seven hundred million dollars. You you said the economy. I mean, we can we, when we come out of this, uh, we've already seen unemployment has shot to what about twenty thirty yep. percent. Uh, or if it hasn't, it will be. It, it might be even higher because what's going to happen at the end of this, like in two thousand eight, is you're going to have a lot of folks who are out of work. And you're going to have a lot of folks who are cash strapped. So they're not going to have that money, that yep. that disposable income, right, to go out to the movie, to go to the restaurant, to just throw it around, go to the bar with your buddies and drop a 20 and not care. You're going to be like, that's 20 bucks. I'm going to stay home yep. and, and drink a six pack by myself and, and make my food rather than go to the restaurant. You're going to see restaurants go out in mass, right? Especially yep. expensive restaurants, cheaper restaurants, fast food. No, that's OK. But we're saying the sit down, the steak places, those places are screwed. Yeah. And 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 then you talk about movie theaters. That's certainly a luxury, right? Most people don't. You and I love going to movies, uh, even though we don't necessarily pay for all the movies because we get to go to screens, which is wonderful. But if we did have to pay and it's 20 bucks, let's say you have a family of four and you're spending, let's say, with popcorn, 80 out here, it's more than that. Let's just say 80 or, or less, 50 to 80 dollars. That's money yep. that you don't have anymore. Right. Yep. You had that before this hit. Now you don't. So to your point, when when these films come out right off right off the bat, you're not going to see these really huge blockbusters in the first few weeks or month after because they're going to trying to figure out who's coming back to the theaters what are the numbers and and you know are people going to spend money to go out and be entertained i don't think they will initially i agree 100 percent there and that to me is it's it's the importance of laying down the groundwork of understanding what studios are doing what they're you know like you said earlier everybody has options the studios have options and they're going to weigh every single one of them but whatever one probably wins nine times out of ten is going to be the one that's the most beneficial for them you know what i mean not for us not what we want what they need right. monetarily mm-hmm yeah, and, and, and they're a company, right? They're, it's the entertainment business. Yep. People get lost in this, you know, they're for the fans. No, they're not. They're for <laughs> making money at the end of the day. Yeah. However they get that done. So, therefore, they're going to do what's in their best interest, not you, the fan, in their corporate, you know, shareholders, all the stuff, you know, the, the Disney's, the Warner Brothers. I'm down the street from both those places. Universal's I can ride my bike over to. I can get to any one of those places. That's the beauty about living out here. But <laughs> but you go by and they're, they're dead. It's completely shut down. It's a ghost town, right? That's never the case with those studios. There's always people. There's productions going on. There's meetings. There's just nonstop traffic. And, and they are hurting. Right. They don't have money coming in right now. So therefore, you're going to start to see massive layoffs. You saw Lionsgate do that yesterday. You're going to see more as the weeks continue. Um, You know, every studio is going to lay people off and largely going to be theatrical because the theatrical aspect is the one that's hurting the most. The home entertainment, you know, the, the people doing the VODs, running all those campaigns, they need to have those people around because that obviously is what's generating profit right now. If there is profit, that's where it's found. I agree 100%. So time to transition into what you and I, um, I tweeted out something. I figured I was going to start with this. I tweeted Mm -hmm. out something and this is when I knew whenever I was going to reach out to you to do this show. Because I tweeted out something that was very controversial. I got reamed on every social media platform for saying this. Good. I I love it. That's that's how you should live your life. (laughs) Exactly. So I said Ozark is better than Breaking Bad, right? So, and, and I stand and I stand tall back. The more I thought about it, the more I was like, Mm -hmm. this is a hundred percent right. And I Mm like breaking bad. I did the first 
season and a half, maybe two seasons were pretty garbage. But like once you get past that hump, it's a pretty solid show. But for me, like you have to get past that first season and a half to really get there. For me, and thinking about Ozark as a collective whole, and we'll talk about season three in a second, but I don't think when in the three seasons of this show, in the 30 episodes, I ever remember there being a bad episode. And it, it felt like every episode meant something, and the character development is some of the best you'll ever see on television, right? Agreed. And, and uh, it, listen, it, but here's the thing. Like you said with, with Breaking Bad, did you watch it initially when it was first run? So I started watching it the um, – let's see. I started watching it during season four, I think. Like live. Okay. I watched it on like Netflix. Okay. Like I watched season one, two, and three on Netflix first, then watched, the, okay. then watched it live. Okay, because I, I actually started to get the DVDs from the library about a year ago because I didn't get, you know, I, we're movie guys. I'm yeah. like, movie, movie, movie. Exactly. And I just don't have time to watch all these series, especially yeah. when you're talking about 10, 12 episodes, whatever, 8, eight 10, whatever. Yeah. And they're an hour each, so it's seven hours of, of content. You go to see so many movies on time. But I finally watched it, but I've been watching Ozark for before. So I started Ozark before I started Breaking Bad. Right. So I think I'm a little biased in this argument, but yeah. I would say that I, at some point, I kind of put Breaking Bad down. I think it was during season three. Yeah. I got halfway through and I was just like, you know what? I'm just not really that invested. I don't want to watch another. How many seasons are there? Eight? I, I think, yeah, I think so. I think there's like, I think there might be six. I think, I don't know. Six or seven. Okay. So I still had like another, you know, uh, two, two or three volumes of the thing. And yeah. I said, you know what? I'm just going to put this on hold. Maybe I'll come back to it. But Ozark from day one, because I love Jason Bateman. I'm sure oh, you do too. So is that, that, I mean, that's, it's a fantastic show. I have never, once not wanted to watch the next season of Ozark the day that it drops and that's rare because I don't watch a lot of shows but I'm glad that I watch Ozark because I'm with you in my estimation it's better than Breaking Bad but I am a little biased because I watched that first I understand if you were like a Breaking Bad you know into it from the very beginning and then you got an Ozark well this is kind of a rip off of it I get that but but Ozark is a tremendously crafted show that could basically be theatrical in my opinion I mean it really it looks it it feels it and like you said, the, the character development, the acting, everything about that is is first rate. All right. So who is your favorite character on the show? You can only pick one. <sighs> this year? Huh? This season? Uh, yeah, we can do it. Yeah, let's do season three. Okay, season three, the brother, who, who, who I Tom don't Pelfrey? know – yeah, but I don't. What has he been in? I've never seen him before. I looked. I seriously. I did. I swear to you. I I looked at. I uh, looked up. He's been in Iron Fist. I guess I never watched that. So, I don't but it's know. a Marvel show, right? I think that's I think a Marvel so. show. Yeah, Iron Fist. Yeah, he was it, on that for twenty one episodes. Okay, so so people are familiar with him from watching that. But again, that's a TV thing, which I don't watch a lot of TV. Yeah, I, d- so I never watched Iron first, Fist. What's his name? Tom P. What's Pelfrey? Pelfrey. Pelfrey. Okay, he right off the bat. Who who does he remind you of? Just the way he looks and kind of. Do, do, because there's someone that instantly I go, hey, he's kind of a version of X. Oh, um, 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 oh God, I'm I'm blanking on him right now, but I know exactly who you're talking about though. Well, you're, we can't be thinking of the same person because the person I'm thinking of is pretty big, Keanu Reeves, in a way. Oh, he has yeah. kind of the same eyes. Yep, I, I understand I, the hair I, and stuff, but he's kind of got that same like look. Um, I think obviously he's a better actor. I like Keanu, but let's be honest, he's not the best <laughs> actor. Um, so, but when he starts, you know, he you see him as a substitute teacher, and he's in there in that scene and all that. I mean, from where he goes, you see that he's crazy, right? They establish yeah. that, which is great, and then you finally see him go nuts at the end and turn into like a child, right? Oh. That he if he doesn't win an Emmy for that, then there, then whoever wins needs to hand it to him because he was by far the best thing about season three. I had my questions at the very beginning about it, and then it really paid off, especially that episode nine you know we the oh. oh god was that that was brutal <laughs> episode nine was probably one of the best television episodes i've ever seen in my life it, it's I agree. the up and down of everything that transpired in that th- and you're right his character at the beginning i was really annoyed by his character and i think you know after you get to episode 10 you understand why they did what they did with him you know because it really kind of tempered hit your expectations for him you like you didn't know what kind of part he was going to play in the show but then you knew that he was going to have some aspect of the film you know throughout the entire episode but it's episode nine when he just snaps and breaks and just when she drives when she leaves the restaurant oh my like that scene is like it's really it really showed you his whole entire arc because you're right like if i said this i said this about him i think julia gardner is the same way i think that her you know her portrayal of ruth is just i love it i love her character it's because 
Ruth reminds you of like, uh, I, Ruth reminds you of like an everyday person, like you and I, you know what I mean? Like, she's just this, you know, bitch, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, no, she takes no shit from anybody. Exactly. She's not, she, she, she's always one of the best characters, right? I mean, she's right there, but it's because of, because like you said, at first you don't know if you like this guy, I don't know if it's going to work. And then by, by nine, the way that I think the direction on that, I don't think Jason Bateman directed that episode, but it was so perfectly directed the way they didn't show. They just, you see how it's going to happen. Oh, right. God. And she, and she drives off. And if you haven't seen it, we don't want to give it away, but, but it's so beautifully orchestrated that you just sit there and go damn if that's the tweet i sent out that said it's going to rip your heart out you're going to be like it's going to give you a gut punch that's the one like man and i agree it is one of the best episodic episodes i've ever seen of any tv show and that goes back to lost i mean the the lost there's one lost episode with i'm already forgetting all the characters names but <laughs> it's the one where there's all the time travel within one thing it's penny and her and whatever the heck her boyfriend but it's one of the recognized best episodes ever written for television yeah and it, it would i would put that the episode nine of this season of ozark right there yeah i agree with you 100 percent. and like i love like for me it's like the same thing with ruth like her character development from season one to three is is mind-blowing because you had this small tempet girl that you just you know she had a smart mouth but at the same time you kind of expected her to just be kind of like a nobody and now she's become like a boss like stage and then of course the setup for season four is just insane right like i, I wish that <laughs> you tweeted it out you want a season four right now but and that's what makes a great television show right as soon as you end that 10th episode it's like i am in need of season four right now and it's like so much is happening but at the same time like you have is so many open doors, you know what I mean? You've got Ruth working with Wyatt again to, with the heroin farm, and then, of course, you've got, um, you know, the Ruth and Wyatt versus the birds, and then, of course, you have the feds, you know what I mean, are still lingering around, and then, of course, you had the gunshot heard around the world at the end of the episode. That, to me, blew me away. Did you see mm -hmm. that coming? I, you know, it... Uh, that's the beauty of, of a show like an Ozark or anything that, that we watch is when it your expectation you go wait a second what just happened right that's <laughs> that when you when you break that expectation and we talked about it with some films earlier where the ending wasn't as perfect uh, as it as it quote unquote should have been like up in the air or um, La La Land yeah. where the you know good things don't always happen and they don't have to happen because real life is messy and I think that that's the the hallmark of, a, of another of a great television show is that they don't give you what you expect in other words you know like episode nine when he when he goes and you know we obviously know what happened that was not really what I was expecting you're expecting yeah. that character to kind of be you know do okay gotta stop but you know what I'm saying yeah it was it was one of those like whoa and and that's I always respect any filmmaker or you know television producer uh, you know show that takes chances and goes with the unobvious you know conclusion i yeah. mean that's that's where we really need to go i yeah. mean i certainly appreciate it more than anything that you know when i see a film that does what you do, you know flips your expectations exactly and that's the thing like they could have really like as good as tom pelfrey was they could have been like oh well we could bring him back for season four because Absolutely. of how amazing he was but no they closed that book and it was fine and i loved the little subtle things that they did throughout the episode because you really you really want to be mad per se at um god i'm thinking of it, uh, at wendy for doing it but she gave like the buildup of that there were so many chances she gave him and then of course he kept on pushing the envelope right he kept pushing the envelope like you want to be mad at wendy for for doing what she did but you can't per se because you're like mm, are you really mad but like he really had a chance to you know she was really just willing to drive him wherever he wanted to go and just be done with it instead he pushed the envelope and then of course ultimate she had to make that call to do what she did and and that was a decision. And now you're starting to see her live with these decisions yep. that she's made. And now, obviously, the son now sees her his Ooh. mother in a different light, Oof. right? And, but but no, the the very end of the I will say the very end of the show when they arrive at the at the at that drug dealer's house, yes. that you go you go distributor, I should say. Um, he. You know, exactly. You go, what just happened? And that's what's so great. It was so sudden. But yet, you know what? It, it also wasn't, it was a cliffhanger 
And I, I thought about it this way. What would you have thought if instead of showing what happened, you just hear the gunshot? Oh, and it God, I would have been so pissed off. Oh that's what I'm saying. Oh, that would have been so good, though. That, do, you think that's, do you just think that's better? I'm just yes, wondering. 100%. I, I, honestly, I, I thought for a second and I said, I think that's better. Even if it pisses people off yeah. and rages them. Listen, when we were kids, I grew up in the 80s. We used to, who shot JR? We didn't know for an entire off season, okay? Because that's how it ended. And I know people got pissed, but we get people talking about it. And I think that I really wonder if they missed an opportunity to take that right there and then have you go, well, well, okay, then we'd have that discussion right now. What do you think happened? Versus we know what happened. And now we kind of know, okay, now we, you know, it kind of cleans it all up so we know where we're headed in season four. I, again, love an ending that you go, wait, let's talk about this. Hmm. You're right there. I didn't even think about that because if you would have just heard a gunshot go off and blood splatter and that's it, oh my goodness. Like that would have, you know, because to be honest with you, I for a hot minute while I was watching it, I thought for sure that we were going to see Wendy potentially die. And that's where I thought we were leaning, you know, halfway through the season. I'm like, could she really be? Because Wendy is is a character that I love, but I love to hate at the same time. You know what I mean? They do a very good job with her. You know what I mean? They do a very good job of, of... but sometimes she does some likable things where you're like, okay, like what she did with her, you know, what she did with uh, Tom Pelfrey. I, I did appreciate that because she tried, she tried, she tried, she tried, she tried to be human amongst all the craziness that got going on. But you're right, man. God, that would have, you're right. I would have been pissed off, no doubt about it. But you're right. Like, you know, because God knows when we would get the next season, you know, maybe we get it next year or the year after, depending on what with what's going on right now. Like, man, that would have been the talk of the town because, and by the time the show's getting ready to pick up, you don't release any trailers for what's to come or anything like that. You just have everybody reeling on what just, you know, the, the gunshot heard around the world. You know what I mean? You, you have the who shot JR of the 21st century. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, it gets even more people talking about the product, yeah. which ultimately is what you want. So I, I think that they maybe missed an opportunity there. I didn't see it at first, but then I thought about it the next day and I go, wow, I just wonder if they could have just done that a little differently. Um, but, but it's still, but it's satisfying. I mean, oh, for sure. No question. Right. Uh, but I tell you, I haven't picked up a lot of other shows. I mean, I've, I've watched Ozark um, and I've, I've dabbled with, I think, BoJack Horseman, which I think, do you watch that? I have not. I've heard it's good, though. It is good. And the reason I like it is because it's all L.A. stuff. Right. It's it's a 90s sitcom horse, um, try, you know, living his life 20, 30 years on. And he hasn't done anything since. So he's a has been. And it's in LA and it's got all this agent stuff and all this Hollywood stuff. So <laughs> oh, that's fair. I didn't know that. I, I yeah. genuinely did not even know what the show was about, to be honest I, with you. It's, and that's the thing. You hear it and you go, what the hell's Bojack Horseman? I don't even know. And I'd heard so much about it. I go, fine, I'll put an episode on. And I liked it. I, is it hilarious? No. Is it very much like a Family Guy Simpsons kind of thing, the way that they run it, the way they run the gags? Yes. But but it's all the Hollywood inside stuff that I, you know, the entourage. I, I loved Entourage because it was all the city. That's yeah, why I exactly. moved out of here. It's why I love LA because there's nowhere like it on the planet nope. and Bojack Horseman is a part of that. That is awesome. Yeah, that's something I, I I was telling you the you know earlier today I was like, you know, I'm in the midst of watching a lot of shorts right now and you know, during this time, you know, I'm trying to help out a festival right now, watching some shorts, watching some films, and and some of it is very hard to watch, you know what I mean? There's some not so grand stuff whenever you're filtering through a lot of different things, but right now there's no there's not a lot of films to watch obviously you know you want to rewatch movies like i rewatched jerry Maguire the other day which god i love i forgot how great that film was i can i don't i keep on thinking about how jerry Maguire was just absolutely or not jerry uh, tom cruise was absolutely robbed from that oscar that year but that's beside the point um but like that's all you can do right now right you revisit these past movies that you've seen a hundred times so maybe i'll maybe i'll check out bo jackman that that I, I've heard good things. I, Jacob loves it. Jacob loves this. He binged watched it and thinking like the whole season, the whole entire series in like two weeks or something like that and wrote a piece for the site and it was pretty good. Well, that's, I knew, I knew one of you, I guess, I guess yeah. you guys are like the tag team, right? I mean, why do you love Bojack? So, you know, you should check it out because you and I see films and, and shows about the same. Like there's yeah. rarely a movie um, or show since we're talking about shows this week. Um, that that we've seen that we radically don't view the same way. I mean, it's it's almost across the board. You name a film, Birds of Prey, we both didn't like. Invisible Man, overrated. Um, you know, Parasite, amazing masterpiece. All yeah. these things over and over. 
And and when you start to realize that about somebody and, a, a, you know, any critic that you follow, okay, if that person likes it, there's really a strong chance that I'm going to like it too because we have very similar tastes. Exactly. And that's the thing. Like, so um, there's a few movies that you'll go see and I know you, you see them normally, obviously, ahead of time being out in LA and stuff like that. And I'm like, please be good. And The Way Back was that film. If there was any film this year that I knew you were going to see ahead of time and it was the one film I was like, all right, if he likes this, I know I'm going to like it. And, and I do. I have the same because like whenever you said about Birds of Prey and I was like, oh, God, here we go. Like I really I had no expectations for the film as a collective whole. I like Suicide Squad more than most people did. It wasn't a great film by any means, but it, it was well, it's still better than Birds of Prey. But I was like, Birds of Prey, Birds of Prey was terrible. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> I'll say that. No, it's not a good movie. It, it's just I'll not. say it in the it's loud in the back. It's, it's awful. No, it it's it's scatterbrained yeah. it's it's uh it's crazy like it's it's harley races like she directed it it's yeah. so all over the freaky map that yeah. you just start to go are you kidding me i understand maybe that was your point okay maybe it's what you wanted to do but it doesn't work and and for no. people to come out of that movie when i what are you talking about and same with invisible man uh, and that that's what drives me crazy is is that we have and you know this is a whole other issue that i'm going to bring up we have a substantial number of film people who unfortunately carry into the movie theater their own agendas yep. okay and what they do is they view the film through their prism yep. of whatever it is that their agenda is it doesn't matter what it is and therefore they're going to instantly grade that film higher because of whatever that agenda is they might not even understand or recognize that they have that agenda but they do yep. I do not have an agenda. I never have when I stepped into a movie theater. I sit down on my seat. I want every movie to be good. I don't care who directed it. I don't care who's in it. I don't care what the plot is. I don't care about anything. I just want to know, was the movie good and did it accomplish what it set out to accomplish, whatever that was? And if that's not how you grade a film, then you need to step out of that film criticism role because you're not, you're doing a disservice to people by saying movies like The Invisible Man are masterpieces. They are not, definitively not masterpieces. So for you to spout off about that, whoever did, and there's millions who did, um, you don't know what you're talking about, okay? Let me just lay it out like that. You really don't because you don't understand the difference between a true masterpiece and a parasite and a faux, not even zero masterpiece, an invisible man. You can't use that word or grade a film you know, four out of five stars when it's really two, if that. Yep. And, and I think that's a problem that we have, people overvaluing films because they're seeing things through their own spectrum, whatever that is. They, they need to get out of their own head and view them as objectively as possible. I agree 100%. Like we talked about this on Twitter and we talk about it a lot, obviously, because, you know, like you said, we have a lot of the same thinking. And, and with Invisible Man, it was like, and Birds of Prey. We both do not like that film, so automatically we get attacked for you know being mm -hmm. sexist. Anti, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah anti women. You 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 hate you hate women. Exactly That's right. You hate women. Really? And, and, how, come, how come we love Little Women, right? It, Didn't we? Did we love Little Women? Exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing. People are very, you know, close-minded and, you know, write this second film. And that's the right. It's like if you go into the thinking, Birds of Prey is going to be amazing because Margaret Robbie is playing Harley Quinn. The movie's going to be amazing. You're going to walk out no matter what the film was like. It was amazing. You know what I mean? It's like, and you're right. Do we don't go into a theater and be like, man, I really want mm -hmm. to sit here for two hours and I really hope this movie sucks. No, no, like, God, why would you ever? And I, we talked about it before we started, you know, recording here. I in LA have to drive typically on average, let's say 30 minutes each yep. way. Okay. Uh, now that's, that's, that's on the low end. Uh, a long end would be 45 to an hour one way. So you're talking about an hour and a half commitment outside of the two hour movie to yep. go see it. If you think that I want to drive through traffic, go across <laughs> the valley, up and over Coldwater Canyon to get to AMC Century City to sit through a two hour movie that was trash or just not good. 
you're crazy because <laughs> I would rather be at home doing anything, rearranging my workout shirts. I don't even care <laughs> anything that would be more <laughs> beneficial to my life than wasting that much time. So no, we never root for a film to be bad. We always root for it to be good, but unfortunately not every film can be good or is good. And when they aren't, you have to make sure that you are accurate about, you know, telling obviously why. And, and then secondly, you know, removing again that agenda and just viewing the film as a, as a work that either succeeded or failed. And see, the thing for me, what I, what I despise the difference between Birds of Prey people and Invisible Man people are, are the people labeling it this five of five star film, and, like you said. But the thing about it is, is like you're pushing an agenda on a film that's not even – like you're saying five out of five means you're putting in the same ballpark as Parasite. Okay, that's exactly what you're saying. You know what I mean? Parasite was a five out of five, ten of ten, however you grade your scale. So you're sitting here telling me that Invisible Man is equally as good or in the same ballpark as Parasite. If yep. you are insinuating right. that, there's something yep. really clearly wrong with you because it's not even on the same spectrum of filmmaking. No. And that's no, the part that's frustrating. It's, it's not even close. And, you know, we talk about um, – you know, the director seems like a super cool guy. I right. gotta say, like he, he's on Twitter. He's, he seems like he's just like a good dude and that's great. Awesome. You know, I mean, uh, this has never been a personal thing. It really just comes down to the fact that there are so many problems with Invisible Man. I mean, you start with that, the, the, the scene that was actually good, the restaurant scene, right? Yeah. Well, instantly is, is downgraded because right off the bat, if you remember, you've got the waiter doing the comedy routine. You're like, what is going on here? Like, you know, the <laughs> sisters, you know, you know, yeah. he's asking water, whatever, you know, that crap back and forth. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it happens and you're just sitting there going, why did you have the comedy aspect? You lessen the tension, yep. right? That's just, that's a basic thing. What yep. were you doing? Yep. And then secondly, we know what happened. You're telling me there's no security cameras in the restaurant? Are you <laughs> kidding me? What planet are we living on? You cannot cre you cannot create a movie that takes reality. We, granted, we have reality issues like, hey, there's a guy, you know, Superman flies. I get it. But you can't pretend there are no security cameras. That's BS. And when you see that, you instantly have to say, what the hell? You can't overlook that. You have to say that's stupid. It just wasn't smart. The one scene that I hated about that film the most was where they were in the um, – when they were in the bedroom and she quote unquote smacks the girl. The little girl, yeah. she's 10 feet from right. her. You know what I mean? And, and right. <laughs> 10 feet from her, smacks her, and then just like paces her. The kid's just like, oh my God, I can't believe you smacked me, even though you're 10 feet from me. And wouldn't they, wouldn't be been able to reach me at all? But there you go, you know, do you. And then just like the ending was so stupid. Oh my God, was the ending so bad? Like, you're really going to sit here and tell me, oh, she used the invisible suit, knew where the cameras were, blah, 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 killed the dude. Oh, he killed himself. Mary Poppins, happy ending. No, God, no. No, it was, it was, and I remember, you know, they screened it early for really early here, like a month early for some people. And another thing that we need to discuss and, and, and people aren't familiar with is that studios show films to some film people. I yeah. won't even call all of them critics because that's not fair. Film people early. Now, the reason they do that is they think it's an okay movie, maybe a good movie, but they load it with these film people, again, not all critics, who are going to rave about it. Okay, yep. They're just going to yep. because they have an understanding with the studio yep. that if they go to see it, even if you didn't love it, I need you to prop up one thing. In other words, if I saw Invisible Man and I agreed to this whole, you know, the whole structure of what they're asking me to do, yep. I would go to see it a month early. And instead of me coming out and saying, oh my God, this is the most overrated film ever because that's how the reviews portrayed it as amazing off the bat. Um, I would come out and say Elizabeth Moss is fantastic in this movie. Wow, right? That's it. Nothing else. Yep. Because we can say she's good. Fine. I mean, is it a is it a award worthy? No. no. But if if you want to just say that, you can. So that's what they do. Even the people who um, don't like the movie have to pick. Essentially, if you're going to get on Twitter, you have to say something positive about it. Yep. Wow, the world building was unreal in in Pokemon, you know, the Pokemon, yeah. whatever. That was some of the early reviews of that. And then you start to look at those and you go, wait, that doesn't mean the movie's good. <laughs> so, but you can't. One right. thing you can't do, you can't go into the movie a month early and and then come out and tweet what a piece of trash because you will never be invited to that to the screening again now 
that's why I'm not invited to those. I don't yeah. get invited to the first Disney movies. I don't get invited to the first anythings because they know I'm kind of a wild card. Like I'm yeah. only going to say it's good if it's good. Yeah. God, I don't care. That's, I mean, that's how I want to operate. So yeah. I don't get in on those, but I'm okay with that because I don't want to compromise my, uh, you know, critical integrity by going to see, to go see a movie, you know, a few weeks early to have to say something positive when the reality is I want to tell people it's really not a great movie. And and that's that's a disservice to you and to people that, that follow you and respect you. Exactly. And see, the thing about it is I noticed they did that with Birds of Prey. So they had the UK mm-hmm. premiere and they had they flew people in from basically like all these super duper fangirl, you know, mm-hmm. Birds of Prey people. Yep. And they flew him in to see the premiere of, you know, and they came out of it. What did they say? Exactly what you just said. Oh, my God. Birds of Prey is the greatest comic book movie ever. Margaret Robbie deserves an Oscar. Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, what? Like, come on. Like, we knew and, you, before you went into the film that you were going to come out and say it was a masterpiece. You know what I mean? And, and, and the other half of it is, remember this, Warner Brothers and or, you know, um, Netflix did this for a bunch of my Critics' Choice members. They flew people in to to the Irishman premiere. Yep. They put them in hotels. I mean, this happens. They do this all the time. Studios, it's not just Netflix. It's not just Disney. It's every, mm. These studios fly people in and they do the junkets. So they show them the movie and then they bring out, you know, Ben Affleck and, and co-star and they talk about the way back, right? They fly people in, they stay in hotels for a night and they get out of here. It happens all the time. But what, what does happen when you fly someone to London to the premiere, they get caught up even more in the hype, the excitement of the first screening of I already love DC and, and DC loves me because they yeah. flew me here. So you're talking about a biased one way or another, slightly biased, heavily biased person that is giving you their opinion on something. We can't have biased people giving opinions on stuff because that's just not, you can't. I mean, obviously that's how the business, <laughs> they look for, you know, great quotes everywhere. But in, in my world, I don't want to listen to anybody who's biased about anything because therefore you, you have a vested interest in something one way or another, or you already love it. So you're not going to hate it. And that's, that's not really what we should be doing as, as, as film critics uh, or any member of the film media whose job is to tell people if the film's good or not exactly and it's stop pushing a narrative and start pushing whether the fact the film's good or not that's that's the cut and dry at the end of the day right you know we we you know like for me it was like whenever i came out of seeing uncut gems you know you i'm famously known for being you know one of like five people in all of america that truly hate that film and when we came out of it i was in a theater with 14 other media members and 14 people said they loved it. I was the 15th and said, you know what? This was the problem with it. This, 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 yeah, and this. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you were right. And you're it's, right. I mean, you're not, you were on the right side of that. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I understand people. And that's the thing though. Like people want to push that narrative that certain things are good because of, you know, they, you know, whether they flew them out there, whether they got a media invite, whatever it have you just push a film to be good because it was good at the end of the day, period. You know what I mean? That's to me is that's, what is important. That's it. Hey, you want to talk about difficult. Listen, we have a pretty difficult job out here in that a lot of times they'll show us the movie, especially during award season. So let's say we went in to see the movie and I saw Uncut Gems up at this, there's a mansion up in the hills here in Hollywood that they rent out pretty much the entirety of award season. Let's say three months. They have parties there five, six, seven nights a week, sometimes two a day, one in the afternoon, one at night. They have a giant screening room in here. When I say a screening room, I'm talking about a full size cinema screen inside of this mansion. The guy who owns the house is a mixer. So he is an audio mixer. He puts the final edits on all the audio for a lot of films. He rents his house out and everyone comes up there and watches. And what I saw on Cut Gems there, it was one of the very first screenings of it. It was right after, I want to say it debuted at uh, Toronto, maybe. I can't one of the film festivals this fall. But it was like the week after. So I got in there. I was sitting in this room, you know, amazing. The, the sound in it is perfect. The visuals, perfect, everything in it. And then I was going, man, I love Good Time, right? I love Good Time. Oh. Good Time's an amazing movie. It's one of my, it was my favorite movie of, what was that, 2017? It's on Netflix it right was, now, everybody. It was, it's on Netflix, everybody. Watch listen, it, please. <laughs> listen, it's, it's a fan. It, it's, there, there's no comparison. Good Time is light years better than Uncut Gems. But as I watched Uncut Gems, you know, listen, as I see it, I'm going, okay, this isn't as good. So guess who's, guess what you get to do as soon as the movie's out? <laughs> you get to walk out into the house where the Safties are hanging out. <laughs> And Adam Sandler are hanging out. So what you have to immediately do 
is because you're going to go up and shake hands because back then we shook hands. And you have to be able to say something positive because you're talking to the filmmaker. So you so you have to figure out some way. Like Adam Sandler came one, he had full sweats on. He looked like he literally just rolled out of bed like one of us right now in the middle of quarantine. That's what Adam Sandler looked like on a Friday night <laughs> at this mansion. And he comes walking by and I'm like, hey, Adam Sandler, there's only like a few of us that just streamed out of the movie. And, and he's like, hey, oh, you were great. Hey, good to see you. I thought he was good, but you know, I didn't have yeah. much else to say. Then I saw the Safties and I started talking to them. But you know what? I really didn't talk much about Uncut Gems. I talked about Good Time. I go, <laughs> man, that was great. But what about Good Time? <laughs> so exactly. You instantly have to pivot. Because, but you're you're there with the filmmakers, so you don't want to, you know, as much as we want to trash stuff. Oh yeah, God, legitimately, you can't. When you're talking to filmmaker, you don't want to be total a hole. You want to be like at least some compliment, and you know, unless the movie was total garbage, then in that case, what I might do is step away completely. Like the director's over there, I'm going to stand over in this corner and drink my beer, right, or my vodka tonic. I'm not going to like make it my mission to go up and say something (laughs) because. If anything sucks, and certainly I am not good at it, if you can't tell by listening to to this to the podcast here today, I'm terrible at covering up. If I believe something, I'm going to say it. I cannot. I cannot do the Hollywood bullshit. Yep. And and everything's great. I'm bad at that, really bad. Yep. But that's fine. But you know, I think people also know the BS detector. If you go up and say, "Oh my God, your movie is amazing. It's so good. You guys are the best." It just it's fake. They know it. They're like, "Come on, man. Tell me the real stuff." Right? Exactly. So, so yeah, you have to be able to, you know, <laughs> sort of couch that if you don't like the movie. Hey, all right, let's talk about your other work, which I do. I'm very good at pivoting. Yeah, you got to be good at that. And that's the thing. You're right, though. When you say that, it's like, you know, even coming out, like, I mean, even for me, it's like I interview people all the time. It's like when I was down at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, there's a couple of, uh, of the players that interviewed and I got a chance yeah. to interview. Them. I don't I'm not I don't think highly of them as prospects, but I wasn't going to sit there and say, hey, you know, what do you uh, think of me rating you as a seventh round draft pick? You know, I wasn't going to say that. Obviously, I was going to talk about what made him who he was, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you can't sit there and you walk out of the film. Gonna, hey, Safety Brothers, man, that sucked. And then you can never expect to get another invite, not even just an invite, no. but just to even have a conversation. You know what I mean? You're right. You know, it's. <laughs> You know what, though? So let me tell you, because I know you love the draft. And, and if you didn't know, we, we kind of I, – I am an NFL – I used to be an NFL reporter. I don't know. I've done a lot of things in my life. I used to cover the Green Bay Packers, okay, oh, for awesome. a T, for WTMJ, which was an NBC affiliate in Milwaukee. So we would drive from Milwaukee to Green Bay, which is about an hour and a half, because Green Bay is the middle of nowhere. And if you've been there, have you been to Green Bay? I haven't, but my brother did. He told me about how – because he's a – my brother's a big-time Packer fan, so – Okay, so he's been there. So he yep. explained how it literally is the only thing in town. Yep, sure did. <laughs> okay, no, it literally, there is the stadium, right? There's Lambeau, and then there is like a mall, and there are just like basic houses, like Midwestern homes, kind of just like, you know, worth $100,000, just really basic stuff. And and that's all there is. So um, I used to drive up there to the Packers, and I would have to go into the locker room post-game. I'd have to go into the locker room on uh, availability on Wednesday. Wednesday was the big availability day. So we would go into the locker room with my kids camera guy and it was i'm talking man there were like at least 10 other tv stations in there at least 10 i would say more because you have all these little small markets in wisconsin that are there you have all the green bay stations the milwaukee's but i had to go up and talk to these players and so i would go up and one thing again i told you i'm not good at bullshitting i would say stuff i would come out and just say things like you know they played let's say they played a game and they lost to a team they shouldn't have lost to i'll go up and say to the players hey man i don't know that that team that you guys lost to a lot of people didn't think you were you know they thought you guys would beat them what do you think about that and everyone in the whole group would look at me like holy crap did he just (laughs) ask that question because i didn't care I just didn't care, but but they but people respected that when I was on television. Like, okay, he's going to go in that locker room. He's going to ask the question. Now, granted, it, it, in the Packers' case, I was always going to be in that locker room, so they didn't have a choice. I mean, I, and if they didn't want to answer my questions, I'd just stick my mic in there, and I would get someone else. They would get other sound. Exactly. But but yeah, you have to you have to balance that. Like you have the Senior Bowl, you have to balance that. You know, how does it feel to be an undrafted free agent versus you know talk about the step to get here? Yeah, totally. You, you gotta you gotta ask the right questions in the right situation exactly man i'll tell you what the draft is going to be interesting to say at least huh like i i let me okay real quick because i you know i i know enough obviously chase young i'm ohio state guy i went to ohio state go buckeyes um Oof. is you know he's a badass right he's he's right. Got, if he's not the number one pick i understand burrow but he's got to be two um and ohio state's got you know akuda total badass yep. oh, uh, yes. corner 
Um, and then, you know, but for me, I want you to break down because this is where I want to hear your expertise. Sure. Break down the three Alabama receivers and their strengths and weaknesses, starting with rugs. Okay, so I'll be honest with you. For me, for Ruggs, I'm not a big Ruggs guy. Okay, I think he's a one-route runner. I think he reminds you of a Tyreek Hill, but not. he's about half as good as Tyreek Hill. I think okay. that he's one of those guys that is going to have one game where he goes 7 for 194 and two touchdowns, and then he'll have another game where he goes 2 for 15, right? Um, he's not going to have – he'll have an impact on a roster, but he's being talked about being drafted in the top 20 pick. You know what I mean? He's not. Oh yeah. In my opinion, he, a wide receiver one is somebody that is a guy that's going to produce week in week out. He reminds you of like a Julio Jones or Devonte Adams or a um, those are the ones you got DeAndre Hopkins, somebody like that. Henry Ruggs is more of a wide receiver two that's going to produce biweekly every three weeks or something like that. He might have a string of three or four games, but he's a he's a one route guy that can't run any other really routes, and he's he's super fast. You know what I mean? It's like the old-fashioned Raiders. You know what I mean? The Raiders used to draft anybody that could run underneath the 4-4, and that's what Ruggs can do. And I'm on a... I'm on, I know I'm a lonely hill when I say that, but for me, Ruggs is not one of those guys that I would even, at the price, you know what I mean? When I look at, when yes. I'm talking about the guy, I'm looking at the price of what I have to pay for him. I feel the same way about Tua. You know what I mean? I have the same feeling about Tua. I wouldn't draft Tua at his price because he's going to be in the top five picks because of his injury history. So like, and then on the flip side, now I'll talk about Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy, I think, is the best receiver to come out of college since Julio Jones, in my opinion. I think Jerry Judy can run every single route. He makes every single play. I think he's awesome. I think that um, his hands are impeccable. He's got a nice 50-50 ball. Um, he runs. He can line up all over the field. To me, Jerry Judy's the most complete receiver by far in this entire draft. Well, he the, that's the the tape that I've seen on both those. It's this sounds dead on. When I look, Judy just he has those cuts. Those oh like God. he'll just go into and just do that, just that that quick twitch cut. That's just like dude, the defenders toast. I mean, then throw the ball. He's open. Yep. And that's it, like I said, rug seems more like a straight line. Just I can go, you know, I can run a four three forty. Boom, that's all I've got. And yeah. plus, he's not even a big dude, right? I no. mean, Ruggs is not a tall guy. He's like six foot. Yeah, exactly. He's not tall at all. And that's the thing. That's And I mean, again, he's got his pros and cons. But for me, it's just like he does not do enough. He does not check. And actually, Ruggs is my eighth my eighth ranked receiver, which is probably about five or six spots off of where everybody else has him right now. Because everybody has it like Judy, CeeDee, Lamb, Ruggs. That's everybody's one, two, three. And that's not – and I have him down at eighth. I wouldn't draft Ruggs in the third round. You know what I mean? That's just not my – he's not my type of receiver. If I was a GM of a team, Ruggs would not be on my draft board, period. Judy, Judy should be the first receiver taken off the board, and I think that he's he's an all-world receiver. He'll probably be a top ten receiver in for the next ten years in the NFL. You know what I mean? That's what you're getting out of Judy. But with with Rugs, you might have a guy that might not even be in the league in ten years. Yeah, yeah, right. And he's not a, he's not a big dude either, right? He's kind of slight. No, he's, which that, that's he's not small. Good. In the NFL, no. that's not a good thing. No, you yeah, get hit you one get time, destroyed. you're done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's yeah, it's. And, and they're going to say, hey, it's the SEC. Listen, no, NFL's different. I was in that locker room, right? Going back to that, when I would go in that locker room, I was there when, um, let's see who was there, Amon Green, obviously Brett Favre. Yep. Uh, they just drafted Aaron Rodgers. Um, the Sharp Darren there? Sharper, who now is in jail, right? Yes, yes, yeah. he is. <laughs> he, was, he was a great safety. Uh, Al Harris. All these dudes were big, physical yep. you know, specimens. You know, They come into the locker room, and again, we're in the locker room. They just came out of the shower. Dudes that have their towel on and they were full on like shirtless walk. Yep. I'm like, dude, that guy, if I got hit by that dude, every bone in my body would just disintegrate and I'd be dead. That's how that's how menacing these guys looked. Yep. And and for a guy who's coming out of the SEC, yeah, but they're still college kids and they get into that world of the pros and the hit power that's, you know, 99 and they're just getting oh, destroyed. So uh, Judy, uh, he doesn't uh, – uh, uh, Ruggs doesn't look like he can hold up. No, not at all. And that's the thing, man. These linebackers these days are 10 times faster. They're 10 times stronger. They can cover these small guys. And if they, all they need is one good click, you know, clock to clean you. You know what I mean? And you're done. It's over. It's, it's, it's not even like it's a wake up next week type of thing. And that's the thing for Ruggs. And like you say that, I was down there in the senior bowl. And you, do you think about that? And then you think about some of these guys. Like there was a guy down there. He was an offensive lineman. He was 6'9, and he was like 325. But three, there wasn't a pound of fat on this guy. Mm -hmm. And then you put yeah. the pads on him. So you have 6'9, and then it's just like you're looking up at him and you're like, Oh my God. Like, you're right. Like if you got, if I got hit by him, I don't think I'd get up for a month. You know what I mean? It's like, 
And that's why I love Herbert so much. I love Justin Herbert. And like he's, you know, he's six. I like a tall quarterback. You know what I mean? He's a tall quarterback. He's physical. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And yeah. and he he just plays the part real well. When I saw him, I was I mean, he's another one. He's six, you know, six five, six, six, and he's got a good size to him, and he's just great in the pocket. But like you do the same thing. You like look up at him, you're like, man, this guy is gonna be able to command a line of scrimmage just because of his size, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's part of it. And you know, uh another quick story from my past. I used to work out at a gym here in LA when I first moved out here out of college. And one of the guys who came in was a biggest, meanest looking dude I've ever seen. He would bench four plates. So what is that? Four something? Oh God. Whatever yeah. four plates on each side. Yeah. He would put four plates and he'd be like rat just boom, boom, <laughs> boom. I'm like, holy crap, this dude is beast. And you know who it was? Who? Terry Cruz. Oh my oh, dude, he is. He is ripped, yeah. dude. He is ripped. No, listen, Terry Cruz and I. We talked. We we knew each other. We hung out at the gym. I spotted him, which was a total joke, by the way. <laughs> but he, I I spot him up here at the Burbank Athletic Center. He'd show up back then. It was the World Gym, and we would we get in there. And he was an unknown. He was trying to be an actor. He, you know, we talked. His kids were in school. He's doing all these things, but he hadn't really done anything. But I just would look at him physically imposing. He was six three, two forty. And he was a practice squad guy in the NFL. That, I mean, at his size, you'd be like, that's an all pro. He was practice squad. Yeah, that's exactly, it's insane. You know what I mean? Those guys, it's just, these guys are getting bigger and bigger and it, it blows my mind how big they're getting these days. Yeah, it's, I'm glad you love the draft too. Cause I do, I dip my toe in the draft. I mean, I play Madden mobile. I love playing like that's, especially now that I'm bored out of my mind, I play more <laughs> of that than anything. Um, and then, and, but then, but see, in the other half of this, we can tie this all together to, to back to film is that I think that you living a life outside of film, loving the draft NFL for me, I play beach volleyball. I do all these things. I've got my kids. I do different things that makes you a better film critic because the, the film critics that get locked into one thing. And this is all we do is do films and we don't yep. really have a life outside of that. That's not really who who is makes the best critic. The people who have life experiences yep. that you know I've had billions that they go on and to do all these different things. You can see things from different angles because you've had all these different jobs and different things you've done in your life, and all that comes together to help you be a better film critic. Yeah, pre- you appreciate art in different ways when you go through certain things in your life and and watching. For me, it's like watching a guy out of, and I I love talking about it. Antonio Gandy Golden. He's a receiver that nobody really. He's from Liberty, and he is a guy that I think is going to be one of the best wide receivers in this draft. But you watch somebody like him, you watch his story, you watch how he's you know a low key kid who was basically he loved playing gymnastics as a kid, pick up football, and he's an unbelievable. He's actually my third ranked wide receiver. But watching a story like him, it's inspirational, it's motivational, it's it's something that you can, and then you can watch a film like let's just say that you watch the film like the way back you see a mm-hmm. comeback story you see you witness an entire story you appreciate the comeback because you watch guys in the nfl you watch guys in basketball consistently come back you watch these guys and you correlate it and you're right when i do write it's like you know you you put the two together you make the two make sense and and if you don't live life if you're wrapped up in film all the time which we all we all have that p- portion of our lives that we are but during a time yep. like this it's like what else can I enjoy out of life? You know what I mean? So I've dug, dug deeper into the into the draft. I've been researching more. I'm actually already ahead, and we're already talking about the 2021 draft class. You know what I mean? Like we've been talking Love about on – on our podcast the last two weeks, we've been talking about the 2021 class. Like the quarterbacks for next year, Trevor Lawrence, Justin – you know, your boy Justin Fields. Like, you know, all these guys. And it's like, you know, you understand and, and appreciate certain things a little bit differently from – you know, you're right. Life experiences make you enjoy art more. Yeah, and, and you have to have those, and you can't, you know, you you can't get them out of. Uh, you got to live it. It takes time. You can't do it as a twenty year old. I, you know, the the twenty year old Eric Weber is not the same as the X year old <laughs> Eric Weber. <laughs> well played. Well played. All. Yeah, I, I've seen it all. I've I've done it all. But but that helps. And uh, and then you know you realize that there's more to life than just film, right? There's, there is, there's way more and we're seeing it now. We're seeing that as much as, you know, we started this off by saying, um, you know, we miss going to the theaters. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's great. We're, you know, we're all hurting from that, but there are people dying lots yep. of people dying. And, and that obviously is much more uh, of, of an issue that we need to be worried about than us. Are we going to get tenant 
in June or July, right? Yep, I mean, sure. we, we can talk about that, but we have to understand its place in the world. 100%. That's the thing. That's it, there's, it puts a lot of things in perspective. For me, I luckily am able to work from home, but I do know a lot of individuals that lost their job because of this. I know people, you know, it's the trickle down effect of this entire thing. You know, there's much more to movies in this. Yeah, you're right. At the beginning of the, at the beginning of the thing, we had no clue. Like, we don't know what to do. Like, if we got a phone call tomorrow, we'd go to see the movie. But at the same time, we understand that the aspect of what's going on in the world is like, this is real life. You know what I mean? It, it's, Film is fun, film's an escape, and it's great, but at the same time, real life does trump everything else, you know? So true. That said, let's get the theaters back open and get going. Let's yeah, go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> can we please uh, – this is a uh, public service announcement at the same time. Please open theaters so Eric and I can go see something. <laughs> we'll do social distance. There's be one in the theater. You <laughs> yeah, it's you, you know, and me. No more than 10 people in a 300-seat stadium. <laughs> exactly. Well, but here's the thing, though. That I mean, there's more people – walking around um walking around the grocery store right if exactly. i go to walmart there's more people i bump into there than i would if i if they only sold 10 tickets to a 200 seat uh theater i'm, I'm not suggesting it's going to happen obviously <laughs> but i'm just saying if you use that logic right yeah that we say we say social distance but as soon as i walk into my mini target down the street which i love it's like a, it's like a hardware store that's a target and it has that's everything fantastic. that you need just, just the things that you need yeah it's so you pull up get in get out um, it's, uh, there's good, I'm going to run into more people there running down the aisle. I mean, I'm going to come within six feet of a few people yep. more so than I would if I just went to the movie and walked in and sat down. But, you know, obviously th this is a unique time. We've never seen anything like it and, um, it'll continue. But as we discussed off air and as we close this, it also will end, you know, this yep. cannot continue forever. Yep. Um, I mean, it just, at some point we're going to have to go back to living our lives. It's going to be different. Okay. I get it. But we, we also, and we discussed this a little off air. You can't live in fear forever. Okay. Exactly. You can't, you, you can live under the precautions and take all these things. I understand what we're doing now, but at some point we have to take off the training wheels and we're going to have to go back into real life. I don't know when that is, but I don't anticipate that lasting past. I'd say June is the latest, yep. um, but we'll, we'll see. But I think that we'll be back. If I had to guess, we'll be back in movie theaters by July 4th. That's my guess. I don't think it'll be anything great like a typical July 4th because we don't know what the economy is going to look horrible. It's going to be trashed yep. and people are not going to want to come out. So we're not going to get the best product, but we'll be slowly rebuilding ourselves back to where we were before this hit. Thank you so much for Eric joining the show. Make sure to hop on over to Twitter. Give him a follow, at Eric Weber. Um, he's a great follow on Twitter and a great movie insight as well. Uh, folks, do me do me a favor. Hop on over to Twitter. Give myself a follow, at Ricky Valera underscore. Head on over to musiccitydrivein.com to check out all of our latest articles and reviews. Check out the show sponsor, geekvibenation.com. Those guys pump out articles daily, hourly. It's amazing what they're doing. If you've got some time during this quarantine, make sure to check out their podcasts, their movie reviews, their game reviews, and so much more, folks. And then until next time, we'll talk to you guys later.